there's another in the fire standing next to me. You all know that that is taken from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the fiery furnace and Jesus was present with them in the middle of the worst trial, the most stress in all of their lives. And, and I, I think that song is very appropriate for all of us today dealing with what is going on in our world today. But right now, we're not going to talk about all the madness and the craziness. What we're doing today is we're gathering together as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to focus our thoughts and our minds on Him and His grace. Amen? That is exactly what we're lifting our praise to Him. We're lifting our minds, our hearts, our souls, our strength, everything to Him today. And I pray that as you walk out of here, it is with a new perspective, a new hope, a new faith, a new sense of grace because that is what we're all about. Uh, for those of you that are joining us online, welcome. I'm glad you all are here. Uh, we miss you here. We wish you could be a part of, of, of the gathering here because it's so great to see everybody. But we're so thankful you're joining us online. Um, we are continuing in our series, uh, Tough Questions, Roadblocks. And this is the probably the most offensive one. Uh, what we're talking about today is, isn't it offensive to claim that Jesus is the only way? Christ, the Christian church has proclaimed for 2,000 years that Jesus, salvation found in Jesus alone and in no one else is salvation. And that has been called, all, that's been criticized and, and, uh, and everything. As a matter of fact, Marcus Aurelius, who was one of the most enlightened Roman emperors way back in the day that people uh, tout for his wisdom, his book Meditations is, uh, is required reading in a lot of college courses. Um, he was one of the most vicious persecutors of Christians because, not because he thought that what Christians believed was wrong but because of their obstinacy, their stubbornness in insisting that the pagan gods worshipped by the Roman Empire were, 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 uh, were wrong. He, he said that if they would simply be reasonable, he would not persecute them, but they insisted that Jesus was the only way and he fed them to the lions. And so uh, we, this has been something that's been going on for 2,000 years. And uh, uh, so the main point the main thing today is that this truth claim of Jesus, that he's the only way to salvation, isn't arrogant or offensive. It's either true or false. See, uh, Jesus claimed to be the only way to eternal life. I don't know if you know that. It's not something the church has made up. Jesus himself claimed that. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus himself said. And the very first sermon preached by his followers, by his disciples on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 4, 12, they claim, Peter said, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. These are very, very strong claims. Are they true or are they false? Well, that's the question no one's asking. Those of you that are in high school, those of you that are in college, those of you that have high school students or college students or, or are friends with people like this, know that, that this is not the question that's being asked, whether it's true or false. It is, saying, it is um, moving from an, an, a logical one to an emotional one. Instead of saying, is this true or false, people are saying, well, that's just arrogant to say that. And people back away because they don't want to be offensive. But see, that's the subtle way that our culture has shifted the argument to an emotional one. So we don't have to think if it's true or false. 
Um, you, 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 I've heard it all. You're condemning. You're elitist. You're saying everyone else is wrong and, and you're hurting their feelings. These are the emotional arguments made by a non-Christian culture to try to shut down the claim to try to shut down the Christian evangelist, to try to, to get you to uh, deny your beliefs because of the emotional thing. Never once do they say it's true or false. Well, so, so what do you say in a college class or in a high school class? What do you say to your child when they come home and say, hey, um, I, they, they told me that I was offending them by saying that Jesus was the only way. Well, what, what do you say? What, what do you say if someone gets offended? Well, I say this. Well, they can be offended. What's wrong with being offended? I get offended all the time. Matter of fact, when Disney came out with Star Wars, I got really offended. Uh, you know, having Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker, that's offensive. Okay, they took something that was great that George Lucas had and they destroyed it. And you'll never convince me otherwise. And, you know, and, and so, so what happened when I got offended? I, I went to see Star Wars. I, w I went to see one of the Disney Star Wars and I was so offended the next day I woke up and I had coronavirus. No. No, that's, that's not what happened. I, 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 nothing happens when you're offended. It's like, it's, for some reason, we have decided in our culture that you have a right not to be offended. No, you don't. We live in a free society. Everyone gets offended. Like I said, I get offended all the time. But what am I going to do, call the cops? Well, they've been defunded, so they don't answer. The, you know, but, uh, you know, they, they don't answer. But, but uh, no, seriously, what am, I, what am I supposed to do when I get offended? Nothing. You're just offended. Nothing happens to you. And so when, when people say, well, you're being offensive by claiming that Jesus is the only way, well, well I'm, I'm, that's okay. That's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine to be offensive or to be offended. That's part of our society. And, and that, but that has done more to shut down Christian thought, Christian apologetics, and Christian evangelism and witness than anything else. And so that we need to address it. We need to talk about it here in church. And, and I mean, now we have churches and Christians they're developing their entire theology and their entire belief system around not offending people. Anyone see the inherent danger in all that? Someone comes up to me and says, well, I want my church to be the one that doesn't offend anyone. Well, then don't ever say anything. Don't ever make any truth claims. Don't ever do anything or say anything. Because that's the only way you'll not offend people. And unfortunately, that is the course a lot of churches have taken. And that's why we see a decline in the church. Because why would you want to be a part of something that doesn't do anything or doesn't say anything? Okay? I, I, you know, I could just see the disciples gathered around together after Pentecost. Okay, this huge thing has happened. They've seen the risen Christ. I, I can see them all gathered together. And they say, you know, we have seen the resurrected Christ. We have heard him preach. We have, uh, we have eaten fish with him on the beach. And we, we just got baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just indwelt us. And, and there were tongues of fire that came and, 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 and were hovering over our heads. You can read about it. Day of Pentecost. And all of, us, all of a sudden we're speaking in other languages and, and, and everything. And people could hear us. And, and 3,000 people were baptized in that day. So you know what we got to do? We got to make sure that Jesus, that we stop and we edit out anything that Jesus ever said that was offensive. Because we want to keep growing. Can you imagine them saying that? When Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything he commanded you, what he really meant was don't offend anyone. Is, is, is that, can you imagine the disciples saying that? Well, what happens if you say this 
and, uh, and they, they get offended. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to stop speaking truth because you can't control your emotions. That's what we have to say to the world to get truth claims across. See, we see no such argument with true, other truth statements like two plus two equals four. No one ever comes up to me and says, well, that's offensive that you would say that two plus two is four and two plus three isn't four as well. No one ever says that. We say it's either true or false. And if Jesus claims to be the only way for salvation is true, then we follow him. And if they're false, we disregard him. But what we don't do, let's get rid of the whole offensive and arrogant claim. Because that has been used by our culture to stop the truth from being spoken. Okay? I, 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 either Jesus was telling the truth when he said, I'm the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or he was, a, 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 or, and, or he was lying. Only two, only two options. I, I love the C.S. Lewis quote where he says this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus did would not be a great moral teacher. Listen to this. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or he was a liar, a devil from hell, or, or, or else he'd be a devil from hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense, C.S. Lewis says, about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Moreover, the claims of, Christian, of the Christian that eternal life is found only through Jesus Christ is actually quite a humble statement. You say, well, how in the world is that a humble statement? Well, because the fact you cannot do anything good enough to earn salvation, to earn your way to heaven, is a, and you must rely on God's grace, is the least arrogant thing I can think of. The least offensive thing I can think of. But see, grace and arrogance are mutually exclusive. One cannot proclaim Jesus the only way and be considered arrogant. All other faith systems point to you and your actions, you earning your salvation, you earning your way into heaven. Only in Christianity is a person completely and totally helpless before God and his grace. Someone says, well, all religions are basically the same, though. They say pretty much the same stuff. I've heard that quite a bit. Have you heard that? I've, I've heard that. On, on the surface, you might be able to make a, a claim like that, but if you actually go and see what other faith systems say, if you actually go and see what, you'll find they are radically different. Let's take a look at Islam. Islam. Islam is based on what's called five pillars, the five pillars of Islam. These are the things you do to earn your way to Allah, to heaven. All right, the first is you have to admit that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. That's no, that it's monotheistic, radically monotheistic. Second, you pray five times a day towards Mecca. Third thing, you give charity, 2.5% of your income to the poor. Four, you fast from dawn to sunset during the month of Ramadan. Or Ramadan. If you're financially able, go on a pilgrimage to Mecca. No mention of grace. No mention of Jesus died on the cross, resurrected. Uh, no mention of that. Radically different from Christianity. Let's take a look at Buddhism. Buddha, Buddhism says this, it's that, that the way to enlightenment is to follow the eightfold path. 
There is no God in Buddhism. Buddhism is atheistic. I don't know if you know that or not. They'd say there is no God. There is, there's a way of being self-actualized here on earth by following the eightfold path. And there are these, the right understanding of reality, right thought, right speech, right actions, right occupation, right effort, right meditation, right concentration. <clears throat> Who knows what the right things are because those are defined by people. But that is what Buddhism says. Hinduism. I've had a lot of interaction with Hinduism over a mission work over in India and Nepal. Um, the, uh, the, the Hinduism, millions of gods, polytheistic. In Nepal alone, there are 33 million gods and 30, 30 million people. There are 3 million more gods than people in Nepal. Um, they, there's a belief in karma and reincarnation. Uh, that, 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 that's, that's the basis of that. No mention of grace, no mention of Jesus. And in Christianity, it says that we have a three-in-one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three parts, one God. Salvation by grace alone. And by faith in Jesus Christ. And then you can have a relationship with God through, the Holy, through Jesus and led by the Holy Spirit. Radically different. One is radically monotheistic. One is atheistic. One is polytheistic. One has three in one God. Salvation by grace alone. None of the, all of these cannot be all true. They can't be. They're mutually exclusive. What we're being asked to do by people that are trying to say that, that, that all religions say the same thing is this. They're basically trying to get us to agree that a married bachelor drew a square circle in a, in a, in a sand that was made of water. That's what we're being asked to do when we are asked to say, well, Jesus isn't the only way. Okay? All right, so how do we know that Jesus is the way, though? With all these, all these other faith systems, how do we know that Jesus is the only way? Because this is the million-dollar question. If Jesus is not the only way, people, if, if he isn't, I am leaving. you got to find another pastor. You gotta, I, I would recommend every one of you go home and never enter a church again because if Jesus is not the only way, he was a complete and total liar and, no, and not worthy of worship. So this is, what we have to, this is what we have to decide. Is Jesus the only way? Well, this is the first way we know that he is the only way. One, by his actions. By Jesus' actions. Matthew 26, 39. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The night before he was crucified, Jesus was, was in, in intense prayer, and he was saying, Lord, if there's another way, if there is another way for this to happen, for all these people to be saved, please show me, and I'll tell them. Is there another way, God, Jesus was asking? The answer was no. Because if there was another way, Jesus would have told us to do that. He would not have gone to the cross. He would not have gone through that. That would have been the last thing he would have done. All right? If there's another way to eternal life, he would have told us if we could be reconciled to God by following the five pillars of Islam, if we could be reconciled to God by following the eightfold path of Buddhism, by the karma of Hindus, Jesus would have said, go do that. But he didn't. He went to the cross willingly uh, on his own volition, knowing it was the only way. So people that say that Jesus, that, that, that's, a, that's a wrong statement, that Jesus is the only way, are going to have to argue with Jesus because Jesus obviously believed he was the only way. Jesus believed that, or he would not have gone to the cross. The second way that we know Jesus is the only way is by the actions of those closest to him. 
All right, Acts 4.12, like I said, the first Christian sermon was, Peter proclaimed, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. What do those actions of those closest to him suggest? What did they preach? Well, it's obvious. It's obvious that Jesus is the only way. They believe so strongly in this message that only one of them died by natural causes. All the rest of them were, were horrifically martyred for their faith. And the only one that did die of natural causes, John, the youngest, they tried to kill him. They tried to boil him in oil. They, they, they tried to leave him uh, um, out on a frozen lake to die of exposure. They tried all this stuff, and they couldn't kill him. That doesn't mean they didn't try. You say, Dave, well, all followers of religions are willing, willing to die for their beliefs. I mean, in September 11th, 2001, hijackers claiming to follow Allah killed 3,000 people, died for their faith. What, how are the disciples any different? Well, here's the difference, a huge difference. We're not talking about people hundreds of thousands of years removed from their teacher. Muhammad Atta and the 9-11 hijackers were 1,300 years removed from, from Muhammad, from, from the, t- the prophet Muhammad. All right, there's time to corrupt the message. These are people that heard from Jesus himself. So we have a, a, a good sense that they had a pure form of the gospel. They had the purest form of the gospel ever because they heard it straight from Jesus. What did they preach? They preached that salvation was found in no one else. Huge difference. It's one of the things, quite honestly, that brought me to the Christian church, the, the independent Christian church. When I was in seminary, I was part of another denomination. I was planning on going into another denomination. And I found, and I I was growing, I was a young man, but I was growing in my faith, and I found that this particular church, um, the, the mission wing of this church, had decided that Jesus never intended to convert anyone. That Jesus, instead of preaching salvation in him alone, Jesus, instead of saying that, said that he encouraged people to find wholeness in whatever belief system they saw fit. That's what, this, that's what was dictated by the mission wing of this church. And, and I thought to myself, Jesus never said anything like that. I can't find that in Scripture anywhere. And as a young man, I, was young, I said I was young in years and young in the faith, it confused me. Why should I be a Christian if the Christians themselves don't believe in their own theology? It seemed to me that was weak. It looked compromised, wishy-washy, uh, milk toast, I guess. Those, were, those weren't what I was looking for as a young man, as a young minister. I was not looking for those things. I wanted something to believe in. I wanted something to dedicate my life to with people that were dedicating their lives to it as well. It was a huge turnoff. And I hear it all the time as a 46-year-old middle-aged guy. Say, if we say Jesus is the only way, y'all, we'll turn off the young people. You've heard that, haven't you? You know what's a turnoff to young people? Adults who say one thing and don't believe it. That's what's a turnoff to young people. People that say I'm a Christian and then deny everything Jesus said. That's what's a turnoff. You want to reach young people. Stand for something. Why is Islam growing so fast in Europe? Does anyone know why? You know why Christians are converting from Christianity to Islam? It's because they don't compromise. They have strict 
standards that they don't compromise from. And they look at Islam, they look at the compromised weak church in Europe. Yes, I'll say that. The weak, compromised church in Europe that's more obsessed with Jesus' skin color than his teachings now. And they say, these people don't even believe what they're saying. These people do. I'm going to check these out. Eternal life could be attained by whatever belief system you already have. Why did Jesus give us the Great Commission? Why did he tell us to go into all the world? Why do we have a baptistry? Why? There's no point to it. Why do mission work? See, mission work is a huge part of this church. I don't know if you know that or not. It's killing me that this coronavirus stopped our mission work. We had the most ambitious mission uh, uh, schedule that this church has ever had. We're taking seven mission trips to visit all of our missionaries to go help with the work and bring people in other countries to Christ. That's what we were planning on doing, and we got stopped, and we're, we're, we're scheduling it all for next year in the, uh, by God's will. But if, if Jesus is not the only way, then let's bring home all the missionaries. Let's close all the churches. Let's do it because if eternal life can be obtained by some other means other than Christianity and other than Jesus, let's just stop all the children's ministry, stop our youth ministry because everybody's already okay. See, how do we know that Jesus is the only way to eternal life? Third one is this. Jesus is the only deity who ever claimed to rise from the dead. Somebody says, Dave, they're the great religious teachers. Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius. Are you saying that they were all wrong? Well, let's, let's simple. Let's go, let's contrast Jesus with all of those others. There's one thing that you can do with all the others you can't do with Jesus. We can go see their tombs. You want to go see the tomb of Muhammad? You want to go see the tomb of Confucius? You want to go see the tomb of Buddha? You can go see him. And there's a body in there. There's a dead body in there. The only one you can't do that is with Jesus. Let's, if I was a summit of great religious thinkers, you know, I... I'm still waiting for my invitation to that one. Uh, and we're trying to come up with criteria that one would have to meet in order to be God. What would I suggest? Well, I would suggest this one thing. If you raise yourself from the dead, you're God. Can we agree on that? Not if you're raised from the dead. If you're dead and you raise yourself from the dead, you're God. Can we agree on that? Isn't that a good criteria for being God? I know I can't do that. I've never known a human that can do that. If, if that, that's a good criteria, well, Jesus is the only one who fits that criteria. Now, we'll never know this side of heaven. We can't. I'd be lying to you if I say that it's a surefire bet that Jesus is the only way. Jesus never intended for it to be that way. That's why there's a thing called faith. However, there's a thing called blind faith, a thing called reasonable faith. And the question is eternal life? Then my money, my life, my faith is on whoever rose from the dead, you guys. That's where my money is. That's where my bet is. Jesus is the only way. We worship a risen Savior, you all, who is calling you today without compromise, without milk toast, without wishy-washiness. He's calling to you today. He's promised eternal life to all who follow him, surrender to his name. People, this life that we live right now is either going to be the best that you've got it or the worst you've got it. If you've never become a Christian, if you've never repented of your sins, been baptized, become a follower of Jesus, this life is the best. You'll ever have it. If you are a Christian, this life is the worst you'll ever have it. I did a funeral yesterday at Lexington Cemetery for a wonderful 93-year-old lady. She died old and full of years, family around her, wonderful family, great family. 
And while I was at the cemetery, I stopped by to see where my son's buried. And, uh, and I was sitting there looking at the tombstones, looking at the grave markers. And there was a, there was an, unfortunately, there were new graves in the infant section. Um, always new graves every time we go there. It's, 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 it's awful. And there's a grieving mom and dad that was there just standing over their child's tombstone. It was very, very sad. It's probably one of the most innocent places on the face of the earth where all the infants are. It's called the Garden of Innocence. If you ever go back there to the Lexington Cemetery, go check it out. But as I was away from, it was quiet, and I was away from all the madness and the craziness and, and everything like that, and I just focused on eternity and realized that every single one of us, every person in here, every person watching online, at one point, some point, that's going to be our address, the cemetery, every one of us. The death rate's 100% if you live long enough. And um, I began thinking that what is really important right now, so much craziness and nonsense and just sin is all over our world. And it's frustrating and it's disheartening and it's enough to make you just want to throw up your hands and quit but as I was at the cemetery, a real blessing happened. You say, we got blessed in a cemetery? Yes. Because I realized that all the stuff going on out in the world right now is a hill of, it's not even amount to a hill of beans. It's not even going to matter. It's not, it's not going to matter in 20 years. It's not going to matter in 50 years. Certainly not going to matter in 100 years. Won't matter in 1,000 years. Won't matter in 100,000 years. Won't matter in a million years. You know what's going to matter then? What you did with the name Jesus Christ. What you did with the grace of Jesus Christ being offered to you right now. That's the only thing that's going to matter past tomorrow. That's the only thing that in a hundred years is going to matter. It's the only thing in a thousand years is going to matter is what you did today with the grace of Jesus Christ. Do we believe the claims of Jesus that he is the only way to heaven. And if, he, if those claims are true, what do we do with them as people? This is what we do. If you're already a Christian, you make that your foundation and you focus on that and, and you live that way and you preach that way and you believe that way because nothing else matters. If you if you are not a Christian, I invite you to become one. Join the family of faith. Be baptized. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. The grace of God is available to you right now. That is what we do with this. Because if Jesus claimed to be the only way isn't true, then it doesn't matter. But if it is true, then nothing else matters. The problem is that we all know people of different faiths who have no faith or have no faith, friends, family, Look at the country of Japan, for instance, 1%, less than 1% Christian. Look at the country of India, who's joining us today, love you all so much. 1.2 billion people, only about 4% Christian. And we look at all these people and say, none of these people have Christ. And we run up against that truth with two options. Two options to do with that truth. One is that we can say, well, people of all faiths are good to go. Who are we to judge? I can't imagine loving God sending people to hell. We're talking about that next week. So let's downplay or deny Jesus' teaching on this. Or the second one, we can say Jesus was clear on this. We need a stronger commitment to missions and to evangelism and to lost friends and family and people in other nations. 
And the church has, by and large, taken option number one. It looked at all these people and said, you know, we're just going to compromise on Jesus' teaching. We have, through deed, if not word and deed, taken option number one as our course of action. We've bowed to cultural forces. We've taken the path of least resistance, but despite that thought being perfectly against everything Jesus said. Despite the intellectual dishonesty and believing that mutually exclusive claims can all be true, we've simply chosen the path of least resistance, and it shows. Churches with strong emphasis on missions and evangelism are growing rapidly. Of course they are. It's not rocket science. People bemoan the decline of the church. I simply ask, who have you reached today? Who have you reached with the truth that Jesus is the only way? The problem is even churches who believe Jesus is the only way tend to live like he isn't. Are there people who need the gospel? Are there people who need to be part of this church? Are there people who, uh, what, what are you waiting for? With online church as an option now, there's absolutely no excuse whatsoever for people not to share the gospel, to invite people to their church. My extended family has a Facebook group. Hi, extended family. I invite them to church every single Sunday. It takes no effort to post a link of your online service on your Facebook page or text the link to 10 different people every Sunday morning. It's the easiest way to invite people to church now. But believing in this statement is true should motivate us beyond anything we could ever imagine. I want to invite the band to come on back up. The last person to be executed in England by hanging was a man named Charlie Peace. This is one of my favorite stories. I can never hear it enough. He was a murderer who had been caught and sentenced. As he was being led to the gallows, a prison chaplain was reading to him from the Bible about the fires of hell, reading from the book of Revelation. Charlie Peace turned to him and said, do you really believe that? What you just read, do you really believe that? Taken aback, the chaplain said, well, um, yes, yes, I do. Charlie Peace said, well, I don't. But if I did, sir, if I believed what you just read to me was true, that if, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it if need be on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from what you just described. So church, who here is ready to walk over broken glass? Crawl over it if necessary to save people from hell. Who here is ready to take the call of Jesus seriously and proclaim him to be the only way to eternal life? I think right now our church, the church, our society has gotten off focus because of all the mayhem and all of the stuff going on. I admit that I get focused on that too much. But preparing for this message has recentered me on what I'm here to do and what we're here to do as a church. We're not here to get involved in all kinds of nonsense. We are here for one thing, to bring Christ to a lost world, to love this world as God loves the world, to love his people, to proclaim Christ as only Lord and Savior, to save people from exactly what the Bible says is the future for people without him. That is what we are here to do. I say we recenter we refocus and we recommit ourselves to that truth to the, from now to the day we stand before him. Who's with me? Let's be focused. Let's be diligent. Let's be about the work that Christ called us to be. And like this next song says, make it our job 
proclaim him. Every single, every single rooftop, every single platform available. I want to invite you to rise and sing with us.